It's time for Larry News Spots, featuring John Big Ten Blue and the mouth of the South, Micah Sherman. Tonight's special guest. Host of the One Two Three Wildcats podcast and former UNC Greensboro Spartan, Ryan Fitzgerald, and I'm your host, Barry. November 27th. Happy Thanksgiving to all. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me, Brian. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, you were introduced to me. You know Micah. Uh, so how do you guys know each other? Oh, man, that goes that goes way back. We uh, were both Chapel Hill guys. And so... Man, just growing up and hooping together. We uh, we actually played together on it. We only had the chance to play together on the same team one time, which was my sophomore year at uh, Chapel Hill High School when Micah, as a freshman, was the only freshman to make the varsity. And so we had a chance to uh, to run and gun a little bit with the uh, Chapel Hill High Tigers back in the 90s. Nice. And uh, the, the Wildcats, what team? Is, is that a different high school team? Yeah, so basically what happened is after my sophomore year, um, Chapel Hill was just growing. The city as a a whole was growing, the town was growing, and they split off for a brand new high school. Uh, And that was in 96. So our first, so basically half the team moved over to East Chapel Hill, the new school. And uh, yeah, just uh, basically started a brand new team, brand new school. And and that's kind of how that went down. So, uh, yeah, actually, this is a good time to briefly mention what your podcast is about. Is this podcast, does it already exist or is it in the works? It exists. Um, we're, you know, we didn't quite know how much work goes into a podcast, but I'm sure you, you know that firsthand. Uh, I, I love your live kind of sound effects and all that. We're doing everything, you know, a lot of post-production, a lot of effort goes into it. But basically, yeah, I mean there's a reporter who was always really fascinated by the story because what was unique about it is that we were a, uh, being a brand new school, none of the seniors from Chapel Hill high came over to East because they didn't want, you know, students being in a brand new school, having to graduate from a new school and only spend one year there. So as a first year school, we only had three grades, you know, freshmen, sophomore and juniors, everybody thought we were going to be terrible. And we ended up having a really exciting, a really memorable season led all the way to the uh, play playing for the state championship in the Dean Dome as a first year school, which was pretty unprecedented. So, um, so yeah, the podcast is all about that run, basically. Wait, would you say the Dean Dump? <laughs> the Dean Dome. I'm, I'm a chap. I'm a guy, ah. so I would... <laughs> oh, Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the Dean E. Smith Center. Right. That's where, uh, that's where Carolina plays um, mm. all their home games. And incidentally, uh, 
I grew up down the street from there for three. When I first moved to Chapel Hill, I lived like actually I would I used to break in there and ride my bicycle around <laughs> the, around the around the court. But yeah, they call it the Dean Dome. Nice. And I, I would imagine like state champions uh, in North Carolina, where basketball is a big deal, it's got to be a, a big deal in itself. Um, so either of you, you Micah or Brian, what is what does basketball mean growing up in North Carolina? And for me, it was uh, everything. It was the only like when I was a kid, it was the only thing that I could imagine would was possible for me to um, like have any kind of glory. Right. Any kind of like uh, any dreams that a, that a kid could imagine in in Chapel Hill, North Carolina was like um winning the state championship and going on to play for the Tar Heels. Definitely not Duke. Uh-huh. Uh, definitely uh, the Carolina Tar Heels. And then possibly playing professional basketball, um, you know, either in the NBA or overseas, which Brian, I'm sure you know a few of our friends who uh, went to play uh, professional basketball. Yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of my college teammates – um, did play overseas. Um, a lot of the guys we ran into as um, opposition over the course of our different high school season runs, we ended up playing against a lot of guys who ended up in the in the league and uh, having different various degrees of success with regard to their careers. But, um, you know, we can get into that at some point uh, in the podcast if you guys would think that'd be interesting. But, but yeah, I mean, um, basically Chapel Hill is a hoops town, you know, Carolina is a, is a hoops state, you know, so tobacco road is, is kind of what we call that area. And any college hoops fan would know that. I mean, you got Carolina, you got Duke right down the street, you got NC state, you got wake forest. I mean, you got loads of talented, you know, collegiate programs and that ever from being a kid, I mean, you're all into that and following that and everybody's got their jerseys on in the seventh grade. And, you know, all we do is talk about hoops and watch hoops and, and just enjoy it. So it was just a part of the culture growing up in Chapel Hill for sure. And did you, did both of you play AAU basketball? Yeah. I mean, we, we played on, I, I don't know how many different AAU teams together, at least three, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There the- was, yeah, the AAU circuit was cool. I mean, that's where you'd see a, a lot of talent because, I mean, you'd see a lot of good players congregate in these various tournaments and would be packed into a a van and sitting in the middle, you know, just kind of making up seats, like 10 of us in like a passenger van and, and driving up to, shoot, we went to New York, went to the beach, went to Florida. We went all over the place just playing in these, in these tournaments. And, you know, sometimes we'd be – our coach was not the – I mean, he was a good coach, but I don't know if he was so by the book. I mean, he'd be sneaking like, okay, who's the best player I can get my hands on and kind of sneaking in different talented players like at the last minute, whether or not they're on the roster. And there, there was a couple of funny stories about that. I know one time, Micah, someone was just talking to me about this yesterday where they had, in, I think Micah was supposed to be at the tournament, couldn't come. And they had, our coach had the last minute snuck in like Scooter Sherrill or somebody who went on to play for NC State and had introduced him at the game as Micah Sherman. <laughs> and uh, I think we ended up getting kicked out of the tournament as a result. But yeah, so there was shady stuff going on, but anything to win a game in, in that circuit. Yeah, AAU is sort of uh, like unregulated. Um, it's almost like um, like boxing with kids, like teams of kids. And it was also like, uh, it was kind of your, t- like when you played for the school, you play for school, you pretty much stay in state. 
Uh, but when you played AAU basketball, you could kind of go all over the place. And that's where like people who are really serious about basketball would also do a lot of, uh, a lot of recruiting and, um, and, and playing people who are really serious about uh, uh, playing basketball and playing year round would, would play AAU basketball. Well, how does somebody get into AAU? Is it just they recruit the best players from high schools and you're placed together by region? I mean, it starts in the sixth grade. Oh, yeah. Did you say, Brian? Yeah, yeah, probably around there for sure. Yeah. And people just see you playing. I mean, depending on the town you're from, like you build a reputation pretty quickly. And then it's it, recruiting children is a strange thing. Like as an adult looking, looking back on it, like it's a very kind of a strange thing to look at an 11 year old child and be like, that's going to there. I'm going to get them to come to, you know, play in this tournament in Virginia beach. Um, and you know, they're just, they're, their kids. I feel that way too about looking looking at uh, you know the, the most recent draft class. I'm like these kids are just kids. I'm looking like watching Lamelo Ball play. I'm like I know that kid. You know what I mean? Like I feel like in a few years he will you know a resemble a, a grown person, but right now he's like he he looks like a kid. Yeah, it's amazing that just how early they're they're kind of scouted and evaluated that. I mean, there, there's already a mock draft for 2021. And uh, I mean, some of these kids are now in college and there's already a mock draft for 2022 as to these kids who are in high schools, who are high school seniors, but they already know who's the number one prospect. So I'm guessing that just starts really early and AAU just kind of is where they get to play against the best of the best in their age group. Yeah, and, and, and I will say that to your question earlier about you know do you have to seek it out kind of thing i think it is the reverse i think if you're if you're doing your thing on the local level that's the thing about aau as micah said it's like it's all about that recruiting right so so that those aau coaches are pretty much hawking that local scene and being like hey who who is good and they'll go and they'll hit up all the local schools whatever is convenient but if they think they can grab somebody from a two counties over who happens to be a really good player and they can get access to them and and however, whatever manner they can, a good AAU coach is going to do that because it really comes down to talent at that level because there's not almost not enough time to really put in any uh, elaborate schemes or, you know, sets or whatever. You don't get that much practice time. So it's, it's coaches just grabbing whatever talented players they can throwing them together and being like, all right, let's see what you boys can do. Yeah, it's almost like a like a uh, like a house band. You're like, all right, all right. Uh, who knows the key of C? Okay, cool, cool, cool. We're gonna play like this this motion offense or flex offense or whatever it is. Do you know that? You don't? Okay, we gotta we gotta do something different now. Yeah, and I know the young players who come into the league and are highly touted prospects. They ha- they go back to AAU days where they're like, oh, we used to play together at AAU. So I'm sure there are some super teams, just as you said. Yeah, we, we ran into a few, I mean, just beast squads. I mean, a couple of times where, where it was like, okay, like literally every player I feel like on the opposing squad was like ACC bound. Um, just so many, so many talented guys. I remember one time it was Brend- Brendan Haywood who went on to oh, play yeah. in Carolina, had a long NBA career. His college teammate, Chris Lang, 
um, who who played at Carolina, about six eleven, white guy, powerful, you know, power forward, who really, in my mind, I'm surprised he didn't play in the NBA. Um, and then they would have Craig Dawson, who was Jerry Stackhouse's nephew, who was just a lights out shooter at Wake Forest, had a bunch of records there. Uh, Irvin Murray, who was another talented point guard there. And so it was just top to bottom stacked. And when you run to a squad like that, it was just kind of holding on for dear life and seeing if you could hang with them. But it was uh, it was always a lot of fun. Yeah, th- these are the things that uh, high school mixtapes are made of, you know? Like, oh, right. Yeah, like <laughs> they're playing a team like, you know, of like regular kids. And then it's like these robots on the uh, on the other side that it's on. Yeah, and it's always like... I mean, my experience just like watching these prospects and trying to get a sense of who's going to be good going into the draft. It's just like I'm watching these mixtapes and it's of course it's going to be the greatest highlights ever. So I can't really glean anything from that. Um, Brian, you you might be able to speak on this better than I can, but what's what's the motivation of a coach, an AAU coach to do all that recruiting? Are they building a name for themselves as well? I think so. I think so. And I don't really know enough to intelligently answer this, but I'll take a swing at it in that, in that, yeah, they're building a name for themselves. I remember our AAU coach who we had played with for years um, actually asked us to put a, put in a good word when, as we were talking about the one, two, three Wildcats podcast earlier, when that school opened that brand new school, I remember our AAU coach was like, Hey Fitz, Micah, like put in a good word, you know, like he was trying to get that job. And so I think they are building up their coaching experience, building up their coaching resumes and looking for different opportunities. Granted, some of them take the perhaps the shadier route to, to direct cash, right? If you've got good enough players, you know, you always hear those rumors of coaches taking payments or this and that to try to influence really highly talented players that go to different schools and, and the paths they take. And you, you hear about that. And so there is kind of a shady side of AAU in that regard. But yeah, I think they're just, guys who love basketball um, in terms of the coaches who are looking to build their resumes at the end of the day. Well, I think I hear something. That's right. It's time to play World's Worst Slogan, AAU edition, where (laughs) we come up with the worst slogan for AAU. Uh, I'll start. AAU, where coaches can get bribes. I'll go uh, AAU, uh, compromise your child athlete's future. <laughs> Let's go uh, AAU, the dirty underbelly of high school hoops. <laughs> I'll say AAU, it's student-athletes who aren't who don't even have to be students <laughs> student optional <laughs> i mean that's that's such an interesting thing like uh like it's such a quick like these aau tournaments are such like a quick turnaround a quick tournament you know like let's come in let's 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 uh you know we've got the gym for the weekend you know it's 500 bucks so we, we're gonna make some money for the entrance fees and then we'll give out a little, little bit of hardware to the, 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 the winner of it. Uh, but it's not like they're checking birth certificates. So you've definitely got some grown men who are playing. You just look young. 
Um, yeah. And you, you always have a ton of, um, of course, you've got a ton of college coaches, right, who are showing up and they see it as a even a better rec- recruiting angle than than high school, you know, just because you've got really, in theory, you've got the best players from the local high schools, you know, congregated onto one squad. So if you want to, you know, save yourself some time from bouncing around a high school game to high school game, I mean, you'll just show up at an AAU tournament, probably get more bang for your buck from a time standpoint as a coach. And so that's, you know, that's a lot of the appeal too as a, as a, as an athlete is because you feel from a recruiting standpoint, you're going to get some good exposure in that circuit. So you were recruited to play college basketball, right, Brian? I was. Yep. Um, so what, so first of all, were you recruited to multiple schools? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my, my experience in, you know, based on my size, based on my position, based on a multitude of factors, I was, I would describe myself as like a tweener type of player where my where my game fit very very well at the high school level and so I was I was able to have a fair amount of success there Uh, but I wasn't my game and I think players deal with this going from high school to college going from college to the NBA I mean a lot of times you got to adjust your game considerably but my game was such that it was pretty much very well suited for like the division two level in college and so I got a lot of Division II attention uh, and many, many full scholarship offers at the D2 level. And then I had at least one Division I offer, which was cool. I can, I can uh, brag about that. That was from Campbell University. Um, which Fighting camels. <laughs> fighting camels. Anyone who's grown up in North Carolina, you know, playing ball would know about Campbell, partly because of their, uh, largely because of their uh, basketball camp. Um, when we were growing up, like it was the one summer camp that everyone would go to, right? Um, you know, of course, Duke had their camp, Carolina had their camp, but for some reason, I don't know why, everyone loved Campbell's basketball camp. So we would go up to Campbell, and I was playing there since I was a kid. Yeah, I don't know why Campbell had such a strong basketball camp, but it was like I went there for four straight years. It was, uh, I have some fond memories of playing in extraordinarily hot gyms in. North Carolina as uh, as a kid. I don't know why it's Campbell. Yeah. They sometimes do su- stuff in the in the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they've made it probably a few times. Um, shout out to Billy Lee, who was the coach there for a long time. His son Brooks Lee was always at the camps, and he was even doing drills and stuff. At the end of the day, all the campers will come sit down for that last talking point of the day, and and. Billy Lee's son Brooks would be showing off like dribbling drills and, and jack and jumpers. And um, he was a very good guard. He ended up playing at High Point University. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you'd be out in the middle of nowhere in Campbell and all it was was hoops. And, and to me, I think one of the reasons they probably did it was because that's a great, to me, it was a great recruiting tool because you get all these kids exposed to your camps and you get to see who are the best kids, right? And it's like, all right, well, let me start the early recruiting on these guys and see how it plays out. And uh, so it was always a lot of fun doing that. But, um, but yeah, so I did get some uh, plenty of D2 attention. And um, so, like I said, that one D1 offer and, um, you know, had a lot of fun with it. What was the deciding factor? You know, that is tough. Honestly, I had a tough time with it. I think a lot of young people maybe have a tough time with it. For me, I did not know what angle to go to. I mean, of course, you take your official visits to the different schools and you get to meet the guys, meet the players and everything like that. And there were some different schools I was leaning towards, but 
I waited, I decided to wait kind of to the last minute and kind of what helped sway me a little bit was the point guard who, um, who played with me on my same high school team, um, who we have a dedicated episode to his, his career uh, on the podcast, but he, uh, he ended up signing with the school I ended up signing with, which is a school called Longwood University in Virginia, who at the time was D2. Since then, they've actually become a D1 program. But he decided to sign there, and that was one of the schools I was strongly considering. So I was like, man, I want to stay. I want to stick with my point guard. He always makes me look good. So let me go ahead and go up to Longwood with him. And that's where I ended up for the first part of my college career. So then did you end up transferring to Greensboro? Yeah, yeah. So Longwood... It's out in the middle of nowhere in Virginia, kind of like Campbell in North Carolina, just out in the middle of the boonies. And, you know, for whatever reason, it was partly girl trouble I was having. I was dating a girl who was at Furman University down in South Carolina. So I was always driving around and, and you know, ended up having some, you know, some issues there and decided to basically, uh, you know, decided to leave basically. And, and, and once I did that, I started looking at different options as far as where I might be able to transfer to one of the guys who we played in the state tournament, my junior year on that uh, state championship run was a really good player named David Shook, who ended up playing for the air force. And then he himself transferred to UNCG. And I started talking to him about the possibility of transferring in there. So they brought me in there and their coach um, at the time, Fran McCaffrey, who's now the head coach at Iowa, yep. who's, um, you know, making dough and, and having great success. And I'm really happy for him. But uh, he, you know, he brought me in and did a special workout and, and everything like that and, and ended up uh, getting me on, on the squad there. So uh, so I spent the, the next three years playing at, at UNCG. So I'm a, I grew up in Iowa. I'm a Hawkeyes fan. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, I like, uh, I was a little out on Fran in the early days. He's a little bit of a hothead, but he's been, he's been good. I don't know. I like him. How was he as a coach to play for? He is absolutely a hothead. Um, <laughs> and that's no disrespect at all to, to coach, but um, to me, he's a great, he's a fantastic coach. I mean, he knows the game, you know, better than you know, most anyone I've, I've ever known. He, to me, as a coach, he, he just knew the game inside and out. And I felt like I learned a whole lot. About, I felt like I came in there not really understanding the intricacies of the game of basketball. I knew my role and how to play my role and do what I was good at. But I didn't understand the whole of the game as well, nearly as well as after I spent a lot of time with Coach McCaffrey and you know, whether it was different offensive sets or different, um, you know, defensive schemes. But most importantly, and of course, part of this is, is just due to the nature of the information age that we're all in. But one of the huge things about the way things transitioned there for me was Coach Mack would have these, you know, a, uh, you know, a scouting report that was like a stack of papers thick. And we were all completely responsible for, for knowing it inside and out in terms of the in terms of the tendencies of the players we were playing against, what they were good at, what they were not good at, good at, and why that was so important to make sure that you, you know, catered to the weaknesses of the players and, and the strengths of the, of the players you're playing against, knowing who's a driver, who's a shooter, what do they want to do, and taking that away from them. And that's not something that we really did much of in high school just because you don't really have the same resources and so on and so forth. But that was a huge part of the game that I started to understand much, much better playing under coach McCaffrey. Interesting. Cool. So uh, we do this uh, podcast with Larry, um, you know, once a week and we, you know, uh, for the, for the 
last half of my life, I've been a fan of the NBA. I've been watching basketball from a fan standpoint. And we talk a lot about who's a good player and who's the greatest of all time and all that kind of uh, superlative nonsense. Um, but I'd love to, I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, as, as you know, I, I stopped playing competitively after high school. I found it to be incredibly intense. Uh, the competition as well as just the lifestyle of a basketball player for those players. And I played against, you know, just pick up ball against college players who went on to play professionally when I was in high school and college. What does it take for someone to make it to the NBA and just how good are these men and women who play professional basketball? It's insane how good they are. I mean, to get to get to that level, you know, the amount of respect I have is, is is ridiculous for every single person that plays in the NBA because I know from my experience in high school, of course, and I, again, had a solid high school career, but for me going from there just to Division Two and seeing the leap from Division Two to Division One, and how tough the guys were on my own team at UNCG, man, these were very very good basketball players and they and none of them you know got into the NBA a couple of them played in the in the in the G League and and a couple of them played in the NBA Summer League and and the fact that none of them played in the league to me is is like mind-blowing and it just goes to show you how good you've got to be so I think I think it's a it's a combination of factors you know one you absolutely have to have the the physical gifts Um, you have to be long enough tall enough you've got to be fast enough athletic enough um, you've got to understand the game well enough and be strong enough. And you, you've got to, and here's the, the key actually in my mind, you actually have to have the right mentors and the right influence that are actually going to get you to do things like do the right drills, right? Like it's so easy to go out and play pickup. It's so easy to go out and, and be a beast out there because you're, six, eight and athletic and can dunk on people. It's so easy to just do that and have fun and crush people. But then you realize that, Hey, once you start playing with other dudes who are your same level of physical, physically gifted, there's gotta be something else, you know? And so you had, it had to be your dad or it had to be some really good coaches you had along the way that really had you shooting 500 threes a day or really had you working on your footwork and really had you working on your ball handling and your, and your one and two dribble moves and your step back and right. Those sorts of skills that don't grow on trees, right. You don't get them automatically, right. You have to earn those skills. And so, so it's so many different things, but I think that's the part that gets overlooked. It's the mentoring and it's the mental angle and the dedication of these players who truly understand that aspect of it and work on it to, to actually help them arrive at that level. How true is this statement? Basketball is a game that's 10% physical and 90% mental. Mm, that's, that's probably a little strong. Uh, probably, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 50, 50, at least, right. If you're going to get to that highest level, you've simply got to have both. You have got to have both, especially if you're going to last because it lasts at that level, right? There's some guys who just based on physical tools alone can get there but they will not stay you know and they will not have a very good pro career if they don't have that that medical i mean that uh, mental aspect yeah a uh, a north carolina guy who had all the physical tools dennis smith jr and was a very highly touted prospect at nc state 
is just not put it together in the NBA. And he, he may be working his way out of the league. We'll see. And that, that's tough, you know, because he, uh, he has some of the physical tools, right? Because he has the athleticism and the springiness, but he, he's undersized, mm-hmm. you know, so that's all the more reason that he needs to have a sharpness. Uh, to me, it's like for him, like obviously he has that driving ability. He has that explosive ability. He has that ability with the basketball to create. But I haven't actually watched him as much in the NBA as I should have. I watched him more, I think, with the Mavs. But uh, but I don't know if he's ever developed – has he developed that that shooting stroke to be at the level it needs to be um, and the decision-making, right? So it's like there's so many aspects to be a great guard. I mean, you know, not only do you have to be explosive for a guy like him, but, yeah, are you making the, the best decisions to make your teammates better at all times? Or is your jump shot reliable? And these are the things that, that I wonder about from afar – with a guy like Dennis Smith, who hopefully can still put put it together and salvage a really good NBA career, but right now those are the, probably the things that stick out to me as things he may need to polish up. And talk about a guy with the right mentors growing up. That guy's father's in the NBA, right? Mm, I don't know. No. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know personally. Oh, I, I thought it was. Maybe I, I'm maybe I'm wrong. No, I remember he, I used to think that too when I first heard his name, but I, I don't think that's the. I think that isn't the case. It's just his dad's not Dennis Smith. Uh mm-hmm. oh, well, he probably his dad probably is Dennis Smith. He's not the Dennis Smith. <laughs> yeah. Who is Dennis Smith? I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Are you There's, thinking? Of, are, you, are you thinking of Dennis Scott? Michael, yeah. The shooter from the Magic. Orlando? Am I? Maybe. Or, or Joe maybe. Smith from the Timberwolves. <laughs> Dennis I don't Scott. know who I'm thinking. Cut this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think when I first heard Dennis Smith Jr., I, I did go to Dennis Scott in my head and then realized no. That, that might be what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Smith was good. Steve Smith was good. Mm-hmm. Joe Smith was good. Joe Smith was good. Not as good an NBA career as he could have had, I think. I don't know. but Yeah. And uh, th- there was some... Wasn't there an issue with his contract or something? Yeah, no, the Minneapolis like or Minnesota kind of cheated on his on his contract. Like they like um, did some stuff under the table and uh, okay. then they got busted for it. And then they got put in like, you know, salary cap purgatory. And <laughs> yeah, it's it was bad. Right, right, right. Yeah, the decision making is so interesting to me because you hear, you know, the term basketball IQ and then there's it's also like basketball IQ in the moment because I I could imagine, um, you know, I could imagine being good at like in in the film room, just like they go over, okay, the defense shows you this. They're they're doubling the guy with the ball. What do you do? But it's just some guys, they they know all that and they work on that, but they can't do it in the moment when on the court. I think there, there are like natural, you know, synapses in, you know, that people are, you know, genetically gifted with like a, you know, quicker response than, uh, than other folks. And I guess that's the kind of thing that can be practiced, but there's definitely a ceiling for a lot of people. And a lot of people's ceilings are at different, clearly at different levels. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. If, you know, people talk a lot about intelligence, and as you said, basketball IQ. I mean, I think there's so many different types of intelligence. I mean, you can have a guy who 
couldn't get the SAT score to to play in college, but on the court, he's a genius. You know, he's a wizard the way he makes those decisions on the fly and, and, and sees those things. And so I think it speaks to the natural um, intellectual ability, the physical, the physical gifts from a, um, you know, from a, you know, uh, as you said, the synapses, right? The, how quick are you making those decisions and, and how effective are you in those situations? And I think um, some people just have that natural gift. And at the same time, it's something that, that can be improved with the right, mm-hmm. with the right being in the experiences. Right. And that's why they talk about, you know, senior leadership, right. And whatnot in, in college and this and that, because once you've been in those situations enough times, I think it, it can, it can start to, um, you know, be, you know, make itself easier for you as a player once you've been in those spots. From a player's perspective, Brian, um, who who do you like in this year's draft class? Who's everybody sleeping on, and who's everybody awake about, and they're they're they should be awake about? Yeah, you know, that's tough. You know, I don't know a ton of them that well. I mean, I guess, um, man, uh, I would say, of course, the easy answer is Lamelo, um, just because you know. I was sleeping on him forever just because I was like, you know, he's overhyped, you know, but then, but then you look at him and like, of course you're going to, you're getting all that attention, right? Your dad, your brother, the family, the, the, to me, they're like the Kardashians of, mm-hmm. of, of NBA, right. <laughs> you, know, you know, as bad as a comparison, they not, may not like that. To me, that's kind of what they are. Um, Tristan so, Thompson's not the uh, Kardashian of the NBA. <laughs> you know, he needs he needs to get an honorary ball membership. You know, my, <laughs> ball family membership in my mind. But um, but yeah, and, but the thing with him with Lamelo is you know speaking of the natural kind of creativity and the natural um, you know this decision making ability that he just seems to have. I think that's something that he just has naturally. And then you pair that with the with the size that he suddenly has right you remember seeing those videos of him in ninth grade where all they were doing was cherry picking and he's getting layup after layup and you're like what is the opposing coach doing like how do you get this many baskets by letting guys cherry pick and it was just always so frustrating watching those highlight tapes but then but and then he at that time he was like six two and like a buck 30 right and like and then suddenly he's he's like a legit six seven and like filled out or almost even six eight, it looks like now because you, I saw the the one of the pictures which had the three brothers standing next to each other, and he was a legit inch and a half bigger than than Lonzo, and he even had kind of the thick neck going on to the point where you can see he's like getting stronger and beefier. <laughs> it's like Lamelo is like growing into his body. He's got the he's got the innate playmaking ability, and so the big question mark there is just his is he going to be a reliable outside shooter? He, he, he's certainly a clutch shooter. He certainly has he, the no fear aspect, but is he going to be a reliable enough percentage-wise shooter to, to, to take his career to the next level in the NBA? So that's one big guy um, that comes to mind for me for sure. Hey, Br- Brian, where, um, where do you stand on Cole Anthony? Because I – um, I know that, you know, everyone was hot on him last year and then he didn't play that well, didn't play that much. I, I'm rooting for him. I loved his dad. When I was a kid, you know, the Rebs were everything. There's a guy whose father played in the NBA. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was leading back to, Micah. Uh, and his dad, like, his dad was such a stud, broke his jaw 
had it wired shut, still played on the, on the, you know, UNLV team and like still talking trash with a jaw wired shut and then a pretty good pro career, you know, like a good Nick for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. Um, Are people too low on Cole Anthony? Cause I feel like he, he might be a sneaky win. Yeah. Yeah. Where did he eventually, did he go 15th or even lower? It was in the teens. Was he when? Yeah, he was like top three yeah. prospect. I think it was fifteenth. Yeah, I to Orlando, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I agree. Greg Anthony w- was a beast. You know, I love his spirit and passion for the game, and I actually love Greg Anthony as a commentator. Oh yeah, um, I think he does an awesome job, and I thought him and Jim Nance were a great combo. Um, before you know, he had you know some some issues that had him removed from that role. But he's you know obviously he's got a great uh, comment uh, commentating career going. Uh, but Cole Cole Anthony um, and being a Carolina fan, of course, I did get to see him play some. Gosh, that first game of the season, if anybody caught that as a Carolina fan last year, I mean he right out of the gate, I think he put up 20, 28 in his first game as a Tar Heel and was just lighting it up from everywhere. And everybody who saw that game was like, oh, obvious lottery pick. I mean, obvious, you know, straight to the league guy. And then, of course, he battled injuries and, and struggled at times. And I think he is another, like we were talking about Dennis Smith Jr. earlier, he's another undersized, you know, guard in the NBA is what he's going to be. But the advantage that he has is Cole Anthony is what I would consider a pure shooter. And, and not only is he a pure shooter, like a catch and, a catch and shoot guy, but he's also a, a shooter who can create his own shot um, and also has just really good quality ball handling ability. And so uh, I think he has a chance to have a very good NBA career. I mean, I think the jury's obviously still out, but I think he's certainly got a shot. Cool. Want to want to make any uh, predictions for this upcoming season? You want to you want to tell us who's coming out of the East, who's coming out of the West, who's going to be Rookie of the Year, who's going to be MVP? What are, what are you seeing? Sure, I'm gonna go ahead and pull my crystal ball out here. And, Great, uh, <laughs> we can't figure it out. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go ahead and just shoot from shoot from the hip here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call the Celtics coming out of the East. Really? Yep, I think. Uh, they were they could have made it all the way you know uh, all the way this this past season, um, but I love I love their talent and um, I think they were smart not to re-sign Gordon Hayward as much as of a quality player as he is. It's so painful as a Carolina person to you know of course the Hornets we've seen them struggle for so long. It's very hard to see them pay 120 million dollars mm-hmm. to to Gordon Hayward and you're like what are you doing MJ? Like, come on, bro. Like you could have done so much better, so many better things with that money. And they didn't. Right. And so that was a smart play by the Celtics. Cause to me, they were already crowded in that, in that area. And I mean, you've got Jason Tatum and, and um, Jalen Brown who right there to me is, is a such a killer one, two punch. Sure. And, and of course you got Kemba, you know, who's a beast as well. And of course they need to probably beef up a little bit inside, but to me, even, Robert Williams coming off the bench, right? They're, they're lanky big man who's such a good catch, you know, finisher off the lobs. To me, he has so much potential, and he showed a lot of that in the playoffs this past year. Uh, he, um, you know, I, I think the Celtics could be really, really good, and I think they will make it out of the East this coming year. Uh, as far as the West, you know, last year I thought it was, was going to be the Clippers the whole time. You know, I mean, the Clippers to me – 
I've always loved Kawhi. I've always loved Paul George. Obviously, Paul George had such a terrible go of it, you know, this time in the playoffs, playoff P. He was struggling. But he's a great player, and I, I chalk that up to bad fortune more than anything else. And I think with that under their belt uh, to bring them back down to earth a bit, I think they have a really good chance to, to put things back together and make a run. I hate that they lost Montrez Harrell. Um, to the Lakers because I think he was a key piece. So having lost uh, Montrez, I don't know that they'll make it back. So I think the easy call in the West is for the Lakers to come back out. Um, okay, we got another Celtics-Lakers finals. Love it. <laughs> yes, that that's what I'm going with. Um, the Lakers look tough. I mean, they've added so many pieces. I hate the fact that so many people hate on my boy Danny Green. Uh, to me, you've got so many internet trolls out there now. It's like they just say stuff just to be funny. And yes, he, he had some tough shooting in the bubble, right? But like the guy still shot 36% on a year from three. And is, to me, is a savant on the defensive end. He's an absolute beast of a defender. No one gets in position like Danny Green. No one alters as many shots, block shots, steals, just is in the right place at the right time. So I just hate to see him you know them lose Danny Green so I think that might actually hurt him but they've got enough pieces and they brought you know Schroeder of course is a great scorer um, and they brought in Wesley Wesley Matthews who's who is good of a you know you know offensive and defensive guy to help fill that void that Danny Green's going to leave so I like them as far as rookie of the year um, I'm going to call uh, just for fun I'm going to call Wiseman um, from the Warriors I think he is Man, seven-one lefty. I mean, I haven't seen him play enough, but I mean, the fact that he's a lefty, the fact that they're all saying he has great potential as a as a jump shooter and a, and a solid shot maker, and the fact that he, you know, so much attention is going to be on Steph and and heck, Andrew Wiggins and and you know the perimeter guys. Of course, we all hate that Clay got hurt, um, but I think Wiseman has a chance to have a really good year. And uh, can't remember what else I was supposed to answer, but that's, no, that's, that's it. three. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of Danny Green, like no one's talking about him going for the three-peat, right? Like, oh yeah, he's got a chance to win three in a row. And I'm this sure he'll be, he'll, he'll, I mean, right now he's on OKC, but I'm sure he'll be moved by the deadline. He'll be moved from OKC. No, he and he'll probably moved. be, if he gets moved mid-season, he'll probably be on a contender. He and that'd be three, he, he could get three straight titles. How many guys do that? Wait, what was that, Brian? He did get moved? He did. He's with the Sixers. Is he with Sixers? Okay, that's, okay, that's right. He got moved this week. So he's going to so, be he, – he, speaking of a contender, right? I mean, that's yeah. a perfect piece for them. I mean, you, mm-hmm. Danny Green, and they got somebody else. Um, oh, of course, they got uh, Dwight Howard, right? Yeah. So, so the Sixers are, are looking stronger and stronger, um, and, and, right. and they, could, they could be a force to be reckoned with as well. I'd like to see the Sixers and the, and the Celtics go head-to-head in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that would be a – a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, they got Seth Car- Seth Curry as well, so they really yeah, Seth Curry, yeah. They really uh addressed that outside shooting problem. Daryl Morin. Mm-hmm. Good. Who's your uh, DOP and uh MVP this year? Hmm, okay. Uh MVP. Wow. Yeah, I saw some I saw a headline on this and it, it resonates with me. I got to give it to Luca. Um he he's gosh the what he did last year was so incredible and actually that's another team that everybody's going to watch out for in the west i mean heck they i think they picked they picked up i think josh richardson from the sixers 
And that adds a lot to their team because Josh Richardson is a, is a beast. And just that scrappy, defensive-minded, long, you know, perimeter defender that really, I think, you know, balances with the rest of their pieces very well. And, um, and so I like them to have a great year. And I like Luca to be the MVP. Um, as far as the defensive player of the year, um, gosh, tough to think of that off the top of my head. Who, who would be some of the top contenders you guys think that, that I could Only AD, mm. uh, Giannis. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see AD get it. Um, yeah. as long as he is and as, as, as tough as he is I'm trying to think who else, um, of course, you know, a lot of people love Marcus Smart and mm-hmm. he's such a scrappy, you know, tough defender, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't lean towards him on that. He adds so much energy and, and spunk to the team, but I wouldn't call him the, the best defensive player out there. I'll, hey, if it's not my boy Danny Green, then it's got to be, uh, it's got to be AD. Are you uh, a Hornets fan? I am uh, loosely. It's yeah. tough. It's tough because, as I said, how how rough they've been recently. I mean, I, I have not even been to that many Hornets games, even though they practically give tickets away, right? Of course, who knows right now with everything going on with the pandemic. But I will say this. I've got a buddy. Of course, I've got some friends down in Charlotte being a Carolina guy. And, and one of my buddies works for a company right in downtown Charlotte. And the owner of that company happened. And they're one of these like, you know, like uh, supplement, like health supplement companies. And so they're making money hand over fist. And, and, and that the owner of that company happens to be a huge NBA fan. And so he's got courtside tickets. And so every once in a while, he'll toss my boy a couple of tickets. And so I got to go to a courtside game with him. And of course, you got your free beers in the back and your your hot dogs, your pregame snacks, your halftime snacks and your brews. And like I got to go to a game and sit courtside. And that is actually what what reinvigorated my love for NBA basketball, because being courtside, not being up in the nosebleeds, I'm like, wow, every single one of these dudes is an absolute monster. And like even somebody as simple as like, like as you you think of yourself as an NBA fan, Ricky Rubio, that's not a that's not a killer athlete. That's not I mean, that's a guy. Yeah, he's a great passer. He's kind of a Spanish wizard with the ball. But like just just being courtside and seeing him physically, I'm like, man, that dude is much bigger than I thought. He's long. He's strong. A guy like Rubio, who you don't even consider like a physical specimen, he was like a beast out there just standing next to him. I'm like, man, that dude's a monster. And so we got to see – I got to see him. I got to see – it was versus the Jazz. So it was uh, Donovan Mitchell. Got to see him up close. I actually stood up next to Donovan Mitchell, and I was like measuring myself next to him. And we're pretty much exactly the same size. And uh, gosh, what a career he's had. And of course, his huge contract he just signed. But but yeah, I would say – I would say I'm a fan of the Hornets and I just hope that they can get it together, but making moves like they just have made this off season, it's, it's tough to see them moving in the right direction anytime soon. They seem like one of the few franchises left that doesn't have a forward thinking front office. And I was kind of hoping they would, but yeah, that Gordon Hayward deal. And they were, they were initially going to just uh, wave and stretch Nick Batum to make room for him which would have just cost them $9 million for the next three years. Uh, now they're looking for a sign-in trade, uh, which I'm hoping my Knicks get involved in. But uh, I, I, yeah, I'd be worried as a Hornets fan about them building something. Yeah, I mean, we've got – there's young talent. There's young talent there, but there, there's not enough 
I mean, the NBA is tough. Every night you go out, you're going against the best, you know, so you've got to have the best. And, and while they have talent, they don't have enough of a blend of young talent and also solid veteran re- leadership that they're not paying $30 million a year for um, to really, you know, bring it all together. I mean, I, I liked, I loved, of course, what Devonte Graham was able to do last year. To me, I think, I mean, I want to think Malik Monk still could be a, a really solid guard. You know, if he could actually get his confidence right and, and get the right amount of minutes and, and really do his thing. I mean, I remember watching him against Carolina, you know, back in his time at Kentucky and they played against each other and, and I think it was Las Vegas. And that was like one of the most epic games. It was like 102 to 100, went into overtime. I think Malik Monk put up like 52 points against the Tar Heels. He was an absolute beast. And so I think he could still, you know, have a carve out a good career for himself. But yeah, they're just, I guess there's just too many holes, you know, on the roster compared to the other teams out there for them to really do much damage. Yeah, I worry that they're stuck in purgatory of um, being a decent team that might compete for the eighth seed this year but they still should maybe be working on development and trying to get a good draft pick and all that. Yeah. It's tough to be in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I know the, I see the Knicks hat. I I assume there's definitely some, a lot of New York representation here. I mean, the Knicks have, you know, been on the other side of that, right. Enough to where they're getting enough good, you know, you know, high picks in the draft, right? I mean, how have you guys felt as far as the Knicks fans about the guys you've been getting in the in the early picks in recent drafts? So we feel, I think people still, there's like, there's a cohort that still believes in Kevin Knox, even though he's been disappointing. There's a big cohort that really loves Frank Nelikina, even though he hasn't really put it together offensively. I'm, I'm currently president of the Frank Nelikina fan club. Um, <laughs> Solid. I think, I think Obi Toppin was a solid pick. I don't, you know, he he's got he's supposed to be terrible defensively and has no move like he doesn't have any lateral quickness and doesn't know how to backpedal properly. But he's he's going to be ready to play right away. I think the biggest thing with the Knicks is for so many years, even though they've sucked, they it was like unintentional sucking. They. They just, they, they tried to actually compete and they just had, just kept making stupid move after stupid move. And it does seem, based on the way this offseason is, is going with uh, Leon Rose as their new president of basketball operations, that they finally have a front office that, that just knows how to work in the modern NBA, that they're taking all these salaries and turning them into second round picks and, and really taking the patient approach and, and hopefully that, I mean, that'll lead to success and one of these draft picks will really hit. I, I liked your review on Obi. So, so the bad news is he's <laughs> bad at all these different things. The good news is he's ready to play. <laughs> I can talk a little more about Obi. <laughs> you got that? Yeah, yeah, he's ready. No, he's he's bad at defense. Offensively, I think he he'll, he could in his rookie year, he's a, he's a contender for rookie of the year. He'll put up numbers like 17 and eight or something like that. Uh, the high end of his comps is Amari Stoudemire because he's got that athleticism and verticality offensively and Amari's defense, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, if, if he's going to learn defense, it's Tibbs. Um, yeah. he's, he's, had, he's had an interesting career where he's transferred different schools. He was a late bloomer. So even though he was 
I think, John, last week you mentioned about him being a upperclassman who won the Naismith Award. And that it's, it's been a mixed bag for the Naismith winners, for sure. Right. It, though I would think he's, even though he is an upperclassman Naismith Award winner, he's not, he doesn't really fit into that category. It's more because he was a late bloomer, but he has the athletic tools compared to, say, Frank Kaminsky uh, this year with Iowa. Luca Garza is probably going to be more in that vein. So he's more of the very gifted athletes, but he just took a circuitous route to get there. Yeah, but I was saying the, the people who are successful, who are Naismith winners right. in the pros, all get taken first or second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're all like, they're all Anthony Davis, you know, Tim Zion. Duncan like level. Yeah. But I mean, I'm hoping he has like a Shane Battier type career. Like that's, that's like the, the other group or the middle group. And then there's the complete bust group. And I, yeah. I think he'll be great. I, I really do. I, I hope it's, it's really defense. If he can, yeah. like, if Bibbs can get him to defend, I think he'll be great. I'm rooting for him for sure. Yeah, you weren't kidding about that mixed bag, man. There are some, <laughs> there are some like future Hall of Famers here. Oh yeah, list off some and of the also Jimmer for debt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Listen, who are some of the last? Uh, if if you have it in front of you. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll go back. I mean Zion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brunson, Frank Mason the third, Buddy Heald, Frank Kaminsky, Doug McDermott, Trey Burke, Anthony Davis, Jimmer Fredette, Evan Turner, Blake Griffin, mm-hmm. Tyler Hansborough, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, JJ Reddick, Andrew Bogut. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but it's 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 either it's it's feast, solid career, or yeah. utter famine. Right. Like those are, you know, there are three clear groups there. Yeah. yeah. I think Jalen Brunson could be solid career. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm still hoping for Doug McDermott, you know, Midwest kid. Yeah. But I just, I don't think he has it. Dougie McBee. He's sticking around in the NBA. I know. He's, hang, he's hanging on, but. Uh, JJ Redick is one of those guys who's like, it's been like, I did not think, like he was great in college. I really did not. Uh, I thought he was going to have a Wojciechowski uh, type uh, career. But he's, he's. He's made a he's made a decent living for himself. Oh yeah, same, same thing like Danny Green. They're like to me, they're two very similar um, players who have really been able to find success and and just like with regularity, very good players, starting players on their teams for a decade. Yeah, I will say they're they've seen similar success. The difference being Danny Green can play defense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and win championships. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. JJ Redick, I'm sure, is okay on the defensive end. But I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing in the NBA, right? At the highest level, it's funny because it, it matches with other careers too, right? It's like, you know, in my, in my day job, I'm a software engineer, right? And in my work, it's like the more you specialize, the more you get paid, you know, to a degree, right? It's like, if you're kind of a generalist and you do everything kind of pretty darn well, like, yeah, you may get a job, but you're probably not going to be making all that much. But the minute you say, okay, this is the technology I'm going to specialize in. This is exactly what I'm going to do. This is going to be my, you know, bread and butter. And you really focus in on that. You can get paid. And and the th- same thing in the league, right? At that highest level, it's like, if you specialize and you are really, really good at something. And of course that's where these things like three and D come from. Like, look, all I have to do is play D and shoot the three. I don't have to do anything else for, from Danny Green's standpoint. And from J.J. Reddick's standpoint, 
look, all I got to do is be a bullseye knockdown shooter, right? And, and regardless if I play great D or not, if I can always get a bucket when my team needs it in those clutch moments and, and just be a sniper out there, I mean, I'm going to make a great career for myself. Gosh, who knows? He's, he's probably earned more than $100 million in his career, both of them. It's crazy oh, yeah. to say, right? This is such a crazy thing to say that, like, neither one of them made an all-star team. They're worth a hundred million dollars. No, not even close to a household name outside of mm-hmm. North Carolina. Yep. Wild. Yeah, and I think like with defense too. Um, in the playoffs, you could just, you could just get played off the floor. Like Montrezl Harrell is the latest example where the Clippers kind of just gave up on him because, and he was so good for six man of the year. Mm. He was a big part of their team and they, he couldn't play in the playoffs. Well, they didn't give up on him. That's part of the problem. Doc kept him out there. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It got worse. Right. But yeah. See that, that's, that's bad. That one in particular is baffling to me. And actually I just made a comment on Reddit just yesterday or the day before defending Montrez Harrell and his defensive ability, because you know, and I didn't watch them that much during the playoffs, but I know he was getting ripped, ripped apart, you know, and at least by the fans. I didn't really see enough examples myself in the games I watched to understand what all the hate was. But I understand if you're a Clippers fan, you're watching every game and he's getting chewed up, then, of course, you're going to take issue with it. One of, one of my favorite pastimes is, as NBA fans out there, this is a fun thing to do, which is like when you see a game, the end of a game, especially a tight one or a competitive one, you know, I love jumping on the subreddits of, of, of both teams. Right. And seeing like, Hey, you know, what were the, what were the Mavericks talking about after that, that Luca hits that game winner and Hey, what were the Clippers fans talking about? And you see the emotions and the, just, you know, the trash talking and the sadness and you see the whole range of NBA fan emotions on these subreddits and it's always a trip, but yeah. And the Clippers subreddit, I mean, they were absolutely shredding Montrezl Harrell. Actually, you know, once they actually lost, um, you know, unexpectedly um, to the to the Nuggets, right? Like, um, I went in there in the Clippers subreddit. They had actually changed the description of the group, and they changed it to be um, Clippers ships, right? Which Clippers are like mm. a <laughs> old ship, and they're like, "Yes, welcome to the Clippers uh, vessels subreddit. We're telling you all about the Clippers ships." And they actually said, and like they were like totally denied they were like the nba subreddit for a few weeks to just to kind of go incognito i thought that was hilarious yeah i've, he, I've told people this hat is for those high socks all the time <laughs> <laughs> he was he was getting worked but he was getting worked by Jokic. i mean Jokic is really good yeah and it? really really tough to stop so i don't know that like harold can't i'm just you know he, he was just in a bad situation i think that's true i think Jokic is so unorthodox. I think the game is evolving, right? We can, we all know that we've all seen that in the past 10 years in the NBA, the game is evolving and changing constantly. And Jokic is a guy that the NBA has almost never seen. And so people don't know quite how to defend him. They don't know quite how to deal with him yet. And so, I mean, I can't be surprised that, that Harold was getting worked. I mean, anybody's been getting worked against Jokic. And, and that's the reason I, I was defending him is because I've seen him play, Montrez Harold, that is, against other big men and really 
been a beast out there in his intensity. And I saw him going up against Draymond Green one time during a regular season matchup. And he was just, he had that Draymond Green energy and, and kind of uh, one of those guys who's just like a scrappy bruiser and just doing, he was doing everything defensively. And then he was dunking on people and finishing on the other end. And I was like, this guy's a monster. And so I've been a fan of his ever since, even though he was getting worked by the Joker. Any last uh, questions or things you want to talk about regarding this last week of NBA news? Mm-hmm. If I, I just say what uh, contracts I liked, I guess when we see a lot of high contracts going out, I, I liked Houston getting um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Christian Wood. Yeah, everyone was, I mean, I haven't actually seen Christian Wood really play, but everyone was talking about him being the best guy to pick up. And then I was glad to see the Rockets. Right. I'm a, I'm a Rockets fan. And so it's been an up and down, you know, decade. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, they're still just, they got to settle this Westbrook Harden mm. situation or they're just, they just have no chance. So they got to figure out what they're doing and get those guys happy or gone. And and what's the full story with uh, Hayward right now? So he I, I, he's definitely going to go to Charlotte for four years, one hundred twenty million. Um, they're just trying him. to see if they could work out a sign and trade to to help Charlotte like make room for it, and then Boston will either pick up a pick or get a trade exception they could use later on. Uh, so basically, they got to find a team that'll take Nicholas Batum who's in the last year of his deal. And he's kind of, he's hasn't really played much in the last few years. Wait, I thought they were going to stretch Batum. They were, just, I thought so too. They said they were going to do it, but I guess yeah. they never officially did it. And, uh, and maybe they just saw everybody on Hornet <laughs> subreddit, just blasting them for stretching Batum. And like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So I, th- what I know a lot of Knicks fans are talking about is getting involved as the third team to take Batum. Yeah, because they have the space. They have to get rid of Randall because because he'd be blocking Obi Toppin, um, and he's just not part of their future plans. Even though I think he still could be useful in the NBA, so Randall would then maybe go to Charlotte or Boston. Um, so yeah, they're just trying to work that out. Uh-huh. Randall to me would be, and I had that's the first time hearing of that. But he to me he would be a, a great fit in Boston. Um, yeah, just one of those. You know, again, one of those blue collar guys who's just not afraid to drive it hard and, and, and throw it down on your head and just, you know, be scrappy and be tough. Every every great team has got to have that balance. And it goes back all the way in my mind for to the Rodman Bulls days, right? And even before that, obviously when it was with the Pistons and everybody, you've got to have that tough guy. You've got to have your your sharpshooters. You've got to have your floor leader. You've got to have that well-balanced team. And I think that is one thing that the Celtics are missing, even though I was just calling them to come out of the East. I'd love to see him get a guy like Randall who could who could bring that extra degree of toughness to them. In the, in the front court specifically, they already got Marcus Smart doing that in the back court. But to have Randall sure. – as well, that'd be a great addition for them. Got to get that Charles Oakley, that uh, that Kurt mm-hmm. Rambis. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they have Tristan Thompson. I think Tristan Thompson signed with Boston. Tristan right? Thompson, yeah. yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, they got Tristan Thompson this week. So, Kardashians are moving to Boston. All right, <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna love it there. They're gonna love it there. Um, Brian, what, uh, anything you want to plug? Where? What are your 
social media handles on the internet and talk about your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can. Um, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Agent Fitz Three. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Agent Fitz. But um, but yeah, I mean, the the big thing would be the podcast. I mean, it's something that you know um, just came out of nowhere. I mean, this is a, a state championship run that's you know almost twenty five years old, and you know it's just a local reporter had hit me up and was like, man, I've been thinking about doing this for a long time. And, you know, uh, you know, I want to tell this story. And so he, um, he's doing it. I mean, he's, he's doing a bulk of the work in terms of, you know, he's calling people, but not just former players on, on, on East, the team I was on, but also he's calling a, a po- the opponents, opposing players, opposing coaches, you know, our coaches. I mean, just like getting the whole spectrum. I mean, he's got the North Carolina, you know, uh, athletic commissioner and like he's got reporters who covered nc state hoops for 40 plus years uh and just guys that were there at that time and really recall the story and recall the details and it was just a remarkable run and so um i i love it because i get to go in there and do the editing and i love you know doing the music and i love adding that that spark to it and and making it fun and interesting uh, in that in that regard, that's something I really uh, enjoy a lot. And so to see all of it come together and just the point is the story itself is 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 pretty crazy. If someone else out there knows a team that in the first year of its high school existence with only freshmen, sophomores and juniors won a state championship, I want to hear about it. Um, hit, hit me up on one of those platforms, mm-hmm. because as far as I know, it's never never happened in another context, but I could be wrong. Uh, but yeah, check it out. You can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you get a podcast, it's called One Two Three Wildcats, and we just released our third episode, and our fourth is coming out uh, next week. So uh, I hope you enjoy if you decide to check it out. I've certainly, uh, I've certainly enjoyed the first couple of episodes, and uh, well done to you. Your the editing of it, it's put together really tightly, and it's. Um, it's done in an interview style that, that has uh, uh, sparse narration. It's really the, the story that's being told is uh, it's, it's really nice. It's a niche story, which is uh, interesting that, that I think like a lot of people will be able to, uh, to find some way to relate to. Uh, Mike, anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, one is called uh, We're Dying Here, and uh, it's all about death and dying. Um, so we interview people about, uh, how anxious or not they are about dying and, and their, uh, you know, their, like what their relationship is with death and we play a lot of fun games on it. So if you're into death yeah. and dying, definitely have a listen. Um, and then we have another one called your TikTok famous and we, uh, just interview people who have become famous on TikTok over the, <laughs> over the pandemic. They're they're pretty good podcasts. You can you can find them both wherever you get podcasts. Sweet, uh, John. No, nothing to nothing to plug on this end. Sweet. Uh, I of course am at Larry the Athlete on all social media, and you can subscribe to Larry Knows Sports wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.